Uh, my name is Tim, I'm an alcoholic. Uh, my date of sobriety is the 24th of July, 1993. Uh, I got sober when I was 21. Uh, lots of people in Australia and New Zealand have been successfully keeping me sober for the last two weeks, so thank you very much for that. Um, my home group is the Brick Lane Big Book Study in East London. We meet on a Saturday at 6 p.m., and I'm going to talk a lot about that group. Um, my sponsor is a Texan oil man called Joe McEff, who lives in West Texas. Um, he's got a sponsor, he's got a sponsor, blah, blah, blah. So I'm under close supervision. You just need... <laughs> Warranty 5 of Concept 12 talks about <clears throat> conference not punishing anyone. Um, and there's a general spiritual principle there. So if I do anything wrong today, don't worry. My sponsor will be responsible for punishing me if necessary. You don't need to do it. Um, I'd like to thank the organizers for this whole weekend and for inviting me to come and share some experience, strength, and hope with you. Um, I'd like to thank my hosts and also Billy for giving us a wonderful introduction to the whole service structure and the place of the home group within that. So <clears throat> I'm going to give a tiny little bit of, of a background to my whole being in AA. I was a teenage <laughs> uh, alcoholic as well. And uh, to put it very, very simply, um, when I drink, I drink buckets of the stuff. When I try and stop, I can, until a little voice in my head says, have another drink, and I do. And it took 12 steps, and a sponsor, and a home group, and fellowship, and service to keep me away from alcohol and a few other issues <laughs> one day at a time. Um, I have also uh, been in the AA service structure for 25 years. I, I became a GSR when I was about a year sober. We have a slightly different structure in Great Britain. That The AA structure I'm in is technically Great Britain and, con and continental Europe, brackets English speaking. Uh, Northern Ireland, which is part of the UK, is actually part of Ireland, AA. So it's split off, so it's just Great Britain. Um, at the top of the structure, if you imagine an upside-down triangle, you've got all of the AA groups. Now, below that, our groups form into intergroups, not districts. The intergroups form into regions, not areas. But it's pretty much the same thing in many ways. Um, those regions elect delegates to become um, the conference of AA in Great Britain, and some of the conference members are our trustees who form a board who run the charity, and then the board has subcommittees to do, it has its own committees to run various things like finance, it has subcommittees to look after various areas of public information, and then it has a corporation to run the offices. So all of our service offices 
are run by the corporation, which is run by the trustees, which is run by the conference, which is run by the regions, which is run by the intergroups, which is run by the groups, which is run by the members of the groups, which is run by, I did a step five with a bloke called Spiritual Paul. Um, if ever you do a step five with someone called spiritual, insert name, when you go to their house, there will be yellow post-it notes with Bible quotes on the mirrors everywhere. Um, this is just be prepared for that so you don't say the wrong thing. In the middle of the step five, he said to me, he said to me, who founded AA? And I thought, this is obviously a trick question. So I said, well, it was Bill and Dr. Bob. He said, no, 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 no. Our literature states very, very clearly that they were our co-founders. The founder of AA was the higher power that presides over us all. So um, who runs our service offices? The higher power runs our services, service office through this structure I've just outlined. Um, I've done service at most of those levels. Um, so I'm currently a, a delegate to the conference. I've been um, chairs of, of intergroups. I've done public information service all the way through the structure. And I've recently come off four years on the national subcommittee, which is a subcommittee of the board, uh, to do public information carrying the AA message to the armed services and to charities and to public bodies, which deal with military and veterans' health. So that's the experience I've got. It's all through the service structure, and I've seen a lot of things go wrong, and I've seen a lot of things solved. I also, for various reasons, have ended up sponsoring people in lots of other countries who are in positions of great responsibility in the service structures in those countries, often in in other fellowships. So I'm not going to mention the, the other fellowship involvements I've had over the years personally because it's not relevant today, but uh, except for Al-Anon, I'm going to, to, to quote some Al-Anon stuff, or may quote some Al-Anon stuff later on today. But I've been able to sponsor people in other fellowships, particularly in countries where AA is just establishing itself, or these other fellowships are just establishing themselves. I want to be able to tell stories about some of the things that have happened, to protect the, but to protect the innocent and to protect the guilty. We're going to use country names like Ruritania and Mulvania, <laughs> uh, just not to give the game away too much. And I might not mention the exact fellowship, but they're 12-step fellowships which have adopted the concepts. And... Uh, a number of friends of mine and sponsees are in positions of great authority and responsibility in large, dysfunctional, commercial organizations. And so we get to talk through all of those problems that they encounter on a daily basis and say, if this organization were running in accordance with the concepts, what would the concepts say about how to solve this situation? And we've never collectively encountered a situation in a corporate environment which would not be resolved if the concepts were adopted as the guiding principles. Maybe there are situations, but we haven't come across any. With enough time, we've found the, the concepts to be 
enormous, Billy talked about flexibility. Um, we found the concepts to be enormously flexible because although they look like rigid laws on the surface, and if you read them out in, in service meetings, people tend to go into blackout and come out of blackout at the end of, <laughs> at the end of concept 12. That, that they're difficult to sit through. So I'm probably not going to be quoting them verbatim. What you're going to get from me this afternoon is the traditions and the concepts as I see them through the prism of my own experience and the story changes over time. If, you, if I'd spoken about this five years ago, I'd be saying different things. I'm sure I'll be saying different things in five years' time. So I don't speak on behalf of AA. I'm not an authority on anything. If it's helpful, that's wonderful. Um, but I can't guarantee any of it will be helpful. I'm going to start with my home group. Um, about 10, 11 years ago, I was floating around in AA, and I tried to join all sorts of groups over the years, um, particularly the um, home groups between the, 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 the AA age of 10 and 15. I was becoming very, very serious. I recommitted to AA at 10 years of sobriety after two years in the wilderness where I didn't drink, but uh, you wouldn't want to have filmed me <laughs> in those two years. Um, I'm glad social media did not capture what was going on. I recommitted to AA. I tried to find a place in AA. I tried to find a group uh, which was interested in the traditions, which was interested in the concepts, which had the big book at its core. And I tried to convert groups into following the traditions and following the concepts and believing what they wrote in the big book, which I believed because it was becoming my experience that when I did exactly what they did, I got the exact results that they report, but I had to do it completely, not canteen style. And I caused so much trouble in AA, not respecting the group conscience of groups, which tacitly took the view that we just want a safe place to share. No, none of them had had a group conscience where they said whether well, all we want is a safe place to share, but that was tacitly the group purpose. And I got into trouble by trying to override that, saying you're doing it wrong. I got to a position 10, 11 years ago, where I was done converting anyone in AA. And so I found a group of like-minded people, and we formed our own group. And we'd be, we're having our 10th anniversary to, uh, in a couple of weeks. 10th anniversary meeting. It's been going 10 and a half years, but the anniversary meeting is in a few weeks. And, you know, we thought, should we have a party? Should we have a this? Should we have a that? we decided what we would do is have a public information meeting to invite lots of local people, people pro local professionals, to show them what is going on in their community. And we've got the three longest standing members of the group to share the experience of how people locally have recovered from alcoholism through that group. That's the most important thing we can do, is be uh, a visible presence in our community to carry the message. So all the celebrations the purpose of that is to show other people how we've been helped, not to congratulate ourselves. Um, 
Now, the reason I say some of that is because uh, I'm very pleased with that group, uh, with, with what it offers. I'm just one of the group members in that group. We've created the fellowship we crave. What Billy said about the group being a spiritual entity which persists 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year and manifests physically on the material plane for one hour between six and seven on a Saturday. But as a spiritual entity, it is not bound by time and space, which is why it seems to create a safe vessel to keep people sober throughout the rest of the week. And sure, they go to other meetings, they go to other groups as well. But it's the creation of a spiritual vessel which is so important. And there was a question earlier about the relative importance of tradition one and the notion of unity. How can one possibly say that one tradition is more important than another? Unless we have a vessel, you can't put anything into the vessel. A slotted spoon doesn't hold much soup. It doesn't matter how good the soup is. If there is nothing to catch it, uh, all the time spent making it is lost. And my uh, sponsor, a couple of sponsors back, would say, uh, if you were... Now, I have to say, this little analogy of his did not come from experience. It came from speculation. But he, he was not a wild horse tamer. But he reported to me that if you want to tame wild horses, you have to have a very, very strong paddock to be able to do it. And then you let the wild horses run around in the paddock, and gradually you can learn to tame them. So we have a very strong structure because it creates a sense of safety that we start on time, we finish on time, we do what we said we were going to do when we said we were going to do it, and it gives people a sense of confidence and safety. People rebel against the rules, but only in order to test where the boundaries are. And if there are no boundaries, it's terrifying. We'd rather have people who are a little bit angry about the barriers than people who are terrified because they don't know where the group ends and where the rest of the world begins. So we have a strong group. Um, I know in America they have groups with, you know, 800 people there on a Wednesday evening. We don't have 800 people there on a Saturday evening. We have, uh, I think, 60 people who do service at my group. Um, we have between 70 and 100 people coming. Um, we have a meeting once a week. We have a workshop once a month where we have three speakers to come in to talk about a big book topic selected by the group by ballot, and we have questions and answers. We go for fellowship afterwards. We go to a local restaurant. There are usually 45, 50 people at dinner afterwards. It gives people a safe, a safe space to be on a Saturday evening so we don't send them out into the cold on their own. And after dinner, a bunch of people, usually 10 to 15, go on to a cafe and then people go off in ones and twos after that to discuss all sorts of things. We look after people. It's not somewhere where you just come and drop the problem in the room and run away again. Um, I believe it's a successful group. And so I want to share some of the ways in which we apply the traditions and the concepts to ensure that it remains a successful group because I depend on that 
group for my life. Yes, my ultimate reliance is on God, but people really help. Um, when it says that, that in the big book that human aid alone won't save us, that's right, but it doesn't mean that human aid isn't necessary. I can't expect God to, as, as um, 19th century preacher Spurgeon said, speak through a crack in my ceiling while I've boarded up the windows and doors so no one can get in. I've got to have that channel up to the higher power, but I've got to have these channels out to all the people in my home group. <clears throat> Unity does not mean uniformity. There are groups in, the, in Great Britain, very, very few because we rebel against things like that. There are groups with dress codes where you have to wear, you know, the men have to wear particular trousers and the women have to wear skirts and blah, blah, blah. Where you have to mind your language, where you have to do all sorts of things. And we don't require conformity. And one of these notions in Tradition 3 is that there are no restrictions. There, are no, there is no conformity imposed on our group members if you have a... Uh, desire to stop drinking if you qualify for AA or even investigating whether you qualify for AA, you can come in. But we don't require any, anything else. A lot of the very strong groups in Great Britain over the years that I've seen have been very heavily male-dominated, maybe 80% male, very strict, very regimented, very orderly, very successful with a certain type of man. Not many women, not many ethnic minorities, um, my group is, you know that phrase in the big book, we're people who normally would not mix? That's one of the great understatements with my, with my group. Um, there are bankers and street drinkers. There are, it's, it's in relatively central London, so there is every imaginable ethnicity. We have a Maori, we, we have a Japanese-Brazilian, we have ultra-Orthodox Jews from Stamford Hill. We've got Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, Christians, atheists, people transitioning one way, people transitioning the other way. Um, I mean, the combination of sexes and sexualities, uh, a friend of mine said there are at least a dozen combinations in the room. <laughs> and I, I think the only endangered species is, is, is the straight white male. That's the, the only... <laughs> group that feels very, very slightly under siege in there because people are looking around, I'm the only one. Um, but we're rectifying that. We're reaching out to the straight male, <laughs> straight white male community in the hope that, you know, our message will reach them one day. But the importance of people coming in and saying, um, I don't fit anywhere else. And um, we welcome you and we say, please come to dinner. If anyone is excluded even tacitly, um, I could be the next. I could be the next one to, to be on the blacklist. So unity, it means inclusivity and not requiring any uniformity. We want everyone to be able to hear so we have a microphone which gets passed around. Um, one of uh, the members in London who is 
hard of hearing, says that one in five people has some kind of difficulty with their hearing. Most will not admit this. So we have a microphone to make sure that everyone can hear. Um, what else do we do? We're introducing having a, a British Sign Language signer to come once a month, and we're paying for that at our own funds. We're going to put it in the, the meetings listing so that the rest of London knows. We want this to be available to everyone. And British Sign Language um, is its own language. It's not English turned into uh, manual signs and movements. It's its own language. Uh, there are people who are born profoundly deaf that cannot communicate in English, that can only communicate in British Sign Language. We want to make AA available to them. So we're putting our hands in our pockets to make that possible. If you can afford a Starbucks on the way to the meeting, you can afford a couple of extra quid in the pot to pay for a signer. Um, we take harassment very, very seriously. We don't want anyone not to feel that our group is a safe space. And so in order to ensure unity of our group, that no one is excluded, um, because they're frightened of being there, because they're frightened of what might happen, we keep a very, very close eye on what is going on. Part of having a home group is knowing everyone else who is a member of that home group, knowing who is there. So when someone you don't know comes in, you know they're new or they're visiting. And we, will, we have greeters at the gate. We have um, two people to greet um, the men, two people to greet the women. Uh, um, it, it's going to be spotted. If you're new, we'll ask you if you're new. We'll give you literature. We'll show you where the tears will make you feel welcome. But we also, therefore, know who we don't know. And if we don't know people, we watch carefully. The women watch what happens with the newcomer women. And uh, there was an occasion about a year ago where the women circled the wagons around a couple of newcomer women because there was a relatively predatory man who kept trying to sidle up, make friends, get phone numbers. And it wasn't for the right purposes. We try to deal with situations like that with tact and courtesy, which means that when it's reported to us that someone has been making unwanted advances towards someone, we won't immediately hold a kangaroo court in the group conscience meeting. A couple of the blokes will go and approach the individual in question, say, it's been reported that, just to let you know if it's reported again, we may have to escalate this. So we don't, so we don't take sides, but we report what's going on. Usually that does the trick. When it doesn't, we continue to watch. And there was an incident where um, we, we called the police because a bloke became violent when uh, he refused to, to stay away from the, the girls. And now the next point is controversial, but there we go. It's a traditions and concepts workshop. What are the chances? <laughs> um, the bloke in question is an alcoholic. His soul matters as much as anyone else's. Who knows who he could become in the future? When I was really new in AA, I was disruptive and aggressive and antisocial. I mean, if you've met me over the last couple of weeks and you think, well, 
I'm a little bit disruptive and aggressive and antisocial. This is after 26 years' work. Just, just roll it 26 years back and use your, your imagination. That was disruptive and difficult and aggressive and cranky. But people saw in me a potential for what I could become. I didn't believe I could become anything, but they did. They believed in me, despite what I was doing. I said to my sponsor once, do you support me? And he said, I support you. I don't support your character defects. So when we take someone, when this bloke, we took him aside and we said, look, there's clearly an issue here. We don't want to get in the way of your recovery. If you want to go through the steps, if you want to go to a men's meeting, let's go to a men's meeting and talk about alcoholism, which is the real reason why you should be here. And we offered that. Now, it doesn't get taken up, frankly, but that message is there. Who knows if a few years later, it isn't that part of the message which is recalled. Same thing, again, a group a number of years ago um, had a treasurer who ran off with the money and got drunk. Now, I was going to be, be linear about the traditions and the concepts. I'm not. I'm going. I'm immediately going off piste. Um, the group wanted to prosecute. Now, when we delegated the task to look after the group's finances to this individual, whenever a task is delegated in AA, concept three comes into play. Concept three says, you give someone a job, they have right of decision. They get to act, they get to consult anyone that needs to be consulted, uh, they get to ask questions if necessary, they get to report back. And that's fine, but whoever gave them the job still has custodial oversight. So whatever work is delegated and then in AA, when my group delegates a task, uh, a message to our GSR, who then carries the message through the service structure, that message gets to the conference, the conference gives a suggestion to the board what to do, the group retains ultimate authority. So the reason that kid got drunk and ran off was in great part because the group was failing to exercise its custodial oversight and ownership, the ultimate authority is, is the group here. The ultimate responsibility is with the group. We didn't have proper procedures in place to make sure the treasurer is doing his job with reporting back once a week, with the paying in slips for the rent, with the paying in slips for the intergroup payments, with all of the cash being double counted, entered, in, entered into a cash book which is available at the front along with all of the other records to be seen. We didn't have a bank account with dual signatories to make sure that once it was paid in, it would require collusion to get the money out. He couldn't just run away with it. It was as much the group's fault as it was the individual's. One of the principles of leadership in Concept 9 is to basically to retain your moral backbone against the tyranny of the majority. And in uh, Concept 12, Warranty 6, it talks about the danger of the, 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 the majority tyrannizing the group and also the minority tyrannizing the group. Sometimes the, the tail can wag the dog. The noisiest authority 
can get the group to change because the group just wants to shut them down. But in this case, the group was angry. And I suspect, I don't know, I think a lot of that was a sense of guilt which was suppressed and then projected out so it, the treasurer got 100% blamed. For me, the morality in that situation was that um, I didn't want the group to punish him. Um, in Concept 12, one of the warranties is... And, and now, by the way, just a footnote. The concepts are written to govern the service structure, but I take them to contain spiritual principles which I apply throughout my life. We apply in my home group. I apply in all sorts of ways. So and not everyone agrees with that. Some people say it's just for the service structure. That's a valid opinion. It's not mine. There are, reasonable, there are matters on which reasonable people of goodwill disagree, and this is one of them. So I look at that warranty about no action of conference shall be punitive, in other words, punishing. And I thought, we're punishing this kid by going to the police. It's also potentially drawing, in, uh, drawing AA into a public controversy. What happens if the Crown Prosecution Service decides to prosecute people have to break their anonymity to testify? And he's drunk it. We're not getting it back. If we... <laughs> what is this serving? So I called a group conscience to suggest we shouldn't, we shouldn't prosecute. In the end... Uh, the group conscience said no. It was a 25 in favour of prosecuting, two against, and the group went ahead and tried to prosecute. Uh, the police said, we're not interested. You're not going to get the money back. Just go back in your cage. Just, it's fine. <laughs> I broke concept 12 by being the tyrannising minority to some extent. I kicked up at such a fuss about that. I, and once I'd said my piece, I should have shut up. In a group conscience meeting, um, so this is an idea that we practice in, in we talk about this very overtly uh, amongst ourselves in my home group. In the informed group conscience meeting, each person gets to present their view. They get to explain their view, but it's not their job to convince anyone that a particular view is right or persuade others to take a particular action. You leave them the dignity of coming to the conclusion themselves. So there is a point at which you stop talking. Um, I was taught in Al-Anon, if you start to repeat yourself, you're trying to control people. So we say it and we say it once. I didn't on this occasion. I was hectoring and awful. Now, fortunately, the group conscience prevailed. I had to make amends to, that, to a number of people in that group for the trouble I caused. I still would have done the same thing. I would have done it in a different way, in a more respectful way. But I reached out to the treasurer and said, if ever you want to come back to AA, if ever you need to come back to AA, give me a call. I know the group's done this, but I want you to know that I don't bear you any malice for what happened, and I'm still your friend despite what, hap despite what happened. So when we deal with something in my home group, we don't punish the person. We want to do it in such a way that if that person needs and wants to come back, they can do it, and there is nothing standing in the way. Um, 
Tradition two, how we make decisions. Um, we mirror the service structure of AA as a whole in Great Britain, in that there are irregular meetings of AA in Great Britain. There's a conference we meet once a year. And at the conference, we discuss large matters of policy and finance. And then during the course of the year, the trustees get on with the job of implementing all of that stuff through their committees, through their subcommittees, through the corporation. So the telephone gets answered every day. You, do, you, 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 don't, you don't call together the conference every single time uh, a tiny decision needs to be made about ordering some more literature for the literature warehouse. There's a division between these big decisions of policy and finance and the day-to-day -day running. So in the running of my group, we've got two types of business meeting. We've got a business meeting, which is like all of the meetings of the board or, the, or the, the director's meetings of the service corporation. So once a month, we discuss all of the minor little matters of running the group, and everyone gets to report back. If you do a job, you're given the chance to report back. So this is part of concept three. Um, sometimes with concept three, people say, since you've given me a job to do, I can do whatever I want and I'm accountable to no one. You can't tell me what to do. I've got right of decision. Well, you have, but you've got to report back and be present for the business meeting to report back and be open to the group offering you censure or redirection or reorganization or replacement. And so we have this built in, you get to report back once a month and anyone gets to pose a question or make a suggestion. Because we've got this built in to how the group operates, if you've got a problem with how the tea maker is making the tea, if you've got a problem with the literature person not being at the literature table every time a newcomer comes in, you have to hunt around the building to find the literature secretary, there's a forum for you to bring it up in a non-aggressive manner, rather than, I need to call the group conscience because I'm upset with what the literature person is doing. There's none of that. There's, it's, just all, it's just automatic. It's part of the fabric of what we do that we report back and make ourselves open and available to suggestions from the group. So, yeah, we have the responsibility for, for the jobs that we do, but the group is retaining the custodial oversight. And these two layers, the doing of the work, the making of the decisions, that split runs all of the way through the 12 concepts. I'll come to that later on. But we have that in our group. Now, the business meetings are once a month, low-level decisions, you can't mess with the structure of the group. You can't mess with the content of the group. And also, if the group tries to be excessively interfering, people do wave the concept three flag. I'll give you an example. We instituted a new role of uh, environmental officer. And the environmental officer sorts all the trash, makes sure everything is recycled, makes sure that we're complying with those ethical principles. And in the business meeting, people tried to get all interfering about exactly, you know, uh, what type of Hessian bag are you going to use to, you know, where is the Hessian bag going to be hung? Do we have the hook here? Do we have the... And someone said, just let her get on with it. If she messes it up, we can 
make a suggestion next month, but seriously, let's not have the whole group decide on anything which doesn't need to be decided on by the group. Um, in Tradition 9, there's this wonderful principle of avoiding excessive organization. So we organize ourselves as much as necessary, but as little as possible. And so these two principles are pulling against each other the whole time, as much as necessary, but as little as possible. But twice a year, we have a group conscience meeting. So a business meeting once a month, daily stuff. Group conscience twice a year, set at a time apart from the normal meeting time. We don't tack it on the end saying, you know, we'll have an extra 10 minutes for our annual group conscience, we'll all be late for dinner. We arrange it at a time that people aren't rushing off to something else. And everyone gets to participate in that. And that's where we run through the 12 traditions, we run through the 12 concepts, and we say, are we doing anything wrong? What could we do better? It's basically that page 86 nightly review that we do in our own life. Step 11 to the individual is, step, is, 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 is tradition two to the group. And we ask ourselves, how can we reach more people in the community? Are we losing people? When people stop coming to our group, do we know why? Is there anything we can do, anything to fix here? But because those fundamental questions are so important, we refuse to make rash decisions. We also want to in invite two more leadership principles from Concept 9. Um, so. Just one thing on the concepts. Um, if you want to read about the concepts, our structure manual in AA in Great Britain has Bill W's essays on the 12 concepts. They are amazing. Al-Anon has a great book called Pathways to Recovery. That's Pathways to Recovery with a gazillion questions and little anecdotes and stories on each of the steps, each of the traditions, each of the concepts, a lot of very valuable information in there. There are various other AA members around the world over the decades who've written lots of stuff, their own personal presentations of the spiritual principles behind the concepts. There's lots of stuff out there. If you want more details, just get my card afterwards. Uh, but in concept nine, we have these leadership principles and two of them are creativity and vision. We want people to be thinking outside the box, thinking about unusual things to do, unusual ideas. Nine out of 10 of the ideas that we have don't come to fruition, but we want to allow a space where people can think creatively. And then we need vision, and vision means you think through all the ramifications. If we do this, what might happen? What are all of the different permutations? How could this possibly be carried out? What could go wrong? Could we affect other groups? Could we affect AI as a whole? Would we be shaking the group by making this fundamental change? You've got to envision what might happen. There's got to be consultation. And that consultation is, as an individual group member with my own group, with my own conscience, my higher power speaking through my conscience. My consultation is with the literature, some of the service literature I've mentioned. Consultation with other friends, sometimes consultation with, well, say to newcomers, we're thinking of this idea for newcomers, would this actually help you? Um, you consult. You think through the morality of the situation. You think through, 
ideas coming from all sorts of different angles, what would the best compromise be in order to not split the group down the middle? We had a very contentious issue. It's a closed group. The question is, are we going to open one of the meetings once a month, or maybe all the meetings once a month, to non-alcoholics to attend, not to speak, but simply to attend? And it split the group down the middle in terms of the initial discussion. But unity mattered, and Concept 12 mattered, the, uh, the warranty that talks about discussion, vote, and substantial unanimity. Until the group basically agreed what it wanted to do. We did not have substantial unanimity, which is, we understand it, it's different in the, the essays, but we understand it to be, we want everyone to be on board. We don't want anyone to be left out. We don't want anyone to leave the group because we've made a decision that someone is so upset about. So we discuss and discuss and discuss. It takes a very long time to change anything in our group. But what we ultimately come up with is, a, is a, a, a compromise that everyone in the room pretty much is down with. But the important thing, to allow creativity, you've got, people have got to be free and feel free. There's a terrible fear that people have. If you've got a great home group, a strong home group, and Billy talked about it this morning, Soon as someone comes in with a new idea, everyone's terrified. This will be the end of AA, this will be the end of the group. If this happens, I'll leave. We want that to be a space where people can come up with a new idea without any risk it's going to be implemented in immediately. So we're not allowed to vote on the day. The proposal is written out and sent out for consultation for one month, and then we vote one month later. And so there's no, that, that risk of coming back to your home group and discovering a group conscience has happened and everything has changed and you weren't there because you were visiting your mother <laughs> cannot happen at my home group because it's notified too far in advance. And if you're a group member and you can't make the business meeting where the vote is going to take place, you're allowed to send written, your written responses, which can be anonymized, and, and those written responses are collated, sent around the group. So when we vote, and a dozen group members are away, we're voting also on behalf of them. I'm not putting my little vote in the urn saying, this is what I want. I'm saying, what is best for the group? Because I'm now part of a spiritual entity. I need to dissolve into that hole for the right decision to be made. So by the time we finally agree on something, there are no personal opinions left anymore. It doesn't matter who suggested it, and it doesn't matter who's upset. If someone's upset, we care about this, we want to listen to you. When we vote, we ask for minority opinions. So let's say, even if it's 80%, 20%, we'll say to the 20%, is there anything else you want to say? I can't tell you how many times we've done that. And someone expresses their concerns, and four more people in the group get the heebie-jeebies and say, let's discuss this some more. If anyone wants further discussion, if anyone wants a further vote, we have a further discussion, we have a further vote. If we haven't got time, it'll just have to be deferred until next time. So there are no sudden changes, no flip-flopping back and forth between smoking, non-smoking um, meetings or, or, or things like that. It just can't happen.
And also, there's a notion in the concepts about whenever a change, if ever a change is made to the concepts, um, there's a trial period and the original form is retained. So whenever we make a change, we can trial it. There's absolutely no risk to it. Because if it's a disaster, we'll discuss it and we'll reverse it. There are no, we don't make irreversible changes. We decided once, not, what we normally did was to sit at the end of the meeting and say the serenity prayer. What we decided to do, some of us went to a fellowship of the spirit conference in America where they have this little, everyone forms a circle um, and they just stand in silence at the end of the meeting for uh, half a minute. And it went through as a trial and it works beautifully in Colorado <laughs> and in some of those western states. Mountains, deserts. For some reason in London, it gave people the creeps like you wouldn't believe. No one knew where to look. No one knew what to do. Am I supposed to be praying? Is someone going to say God at some point? No one knew when to stop. All you can hear is people's stomach rumbling. I just... We have a very compromised ability to be able to just stand in silence. So we rejected it. But we have other changes we've made where they've gone through. So we have, uh, we like the idea of concept four, which is about participation. And, they, and that's part of unity. Everyone has to be allowed to participate. Now, the way London meetings work is if you want to share, you share. You just start speaking. And it's a big group, so only the most confident tend to do it. But we have now a rapid fire sharing round at the end, one minute per person where people put their hands up, and it's, we've trialed it and people loved it. So this is how we manage change in this group through Tradition 2. And the important thing with Tradition 2 also is that the group conscience is a sacred space where you're looking other people in the eye. You're going to go out for dinner with them afterwards really important. That dinner thing is so important because it changes how people behave in the group conscience. If you're dining separately afterwards, you can get away with some stuff that you cannot if you're sitting two feet away from them an hour later. We don't conduct group business outside the group conscience. No, no back channels, no done deals, no little WhatsApp groups, no little Facebook groups, no little email circulars, nothing is done outside the group conscience. If you've got something to say, can it, wait for the group conscience, say it then. No manipulation outside this sacred space. And boy, does that save an awful lot of, I've seen so much hassle over the years with people trying to agree stuff outside the scope of a group conscience meeting with a reading of the traditions at the beginning and a prayer at the end. And it's those boundaries which create the cathedral in time, this, the, the, the safe space. Some other things on the traditions and uh, concepts at group level. I've talked about tradition three. Um, tradition four, we do things very differently in my home group to most of the other groups around. We're very structured. We're very focused on the big, big, uh, on the big book. But we're very careful to not cordon ourselves off. So we don't want to change any of the other groups around. When 
we go to other groups, we fall in with their group conscience. However they want to conduct the meeting, we just fall in with that. We let them be themselves, and then they let us be ourselves. Tradition five, the primary purpose. Um, the idea that was given to me a long time ago, if the discussion at the group is about the 12-step program of recovery, that tells you what the people at the group think the solution to alcoholism is. We don't have an open discussion group because we've got the other 111 waking hours a week to do the open discussion. We do the identification before and after. The meat and potatoes of the content of the group is to achieve the primary purpose, which is to carry the message of how God, the higher power, saves people through the 12 steps, through the structure of AA. So it's a very tight, narrow purpose. There are lots of things that groups do that we don't do in terms of the sharing. We talk about problems a lot but we talk about problems in terms of how we use the 12 steps to solve them, how the passage we read today applies to the, the problems in your life at the moment. And one person sharing to 100 about how they're applying this passage from page 35, this passage from page 37 to their current problems is a message which can reach everyone in the room. There are 100 purposes achieved every time someone shares something like that. And that's what creates such a strong feeling in the group. You can almost feel the power when you come into the room, just even before the meeting has started. But the important thing is, we lead by example. So there are people that come to the group with serious mental health issues, and they share, and they share what you would expect someone with serious mental health issues to share. And we thank them the same way when they finished sharing as we would anyone else. No one takes them aside, tells them what the primary purpose of the group is. If the, we group members try to lead by example, we, we share in a particular way. And over, over time, other people follow. No one needs to tell anyone what to do. If there's a strong enough core, that strength will be attractive because, I'm going to quote Clancy here, but you do what other people suggest in AA because they're doing better than you. <laughs> That's why. And so when people see the peace of some of the people in the meeting, they want some of that. After a while, they stop saying, I'm an alcoholic addict, I'm an alcoholic, blah, 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 because they want to be part of, and no one has ever told anyone they can't say they're an addict. There's a bloke in my group who is a, who's a member of, uh, uh, also a member of Sexaholics Anonymous. He's not a drinker. Now, there are groups where he'd be hounded out. We asked him, do you have a desire to stop drinking? He said, yeah, I don't want to drink. Um, we said, uh, do you think you're an alcoholic? Looking at the long form of Tradition 3. And he said, I identify with everything it says in this book. On one level or another, I identify with it. I consider myself an alcoholic. Some of us disagree with whether or not he's an alcoholic. But he says he identifies with it. I refuse to assume the authority 
to tell someone else how to read the big book and how to identify with it. Who knows? I don't know. People are afraid if one case like that is let in. It's the camel's nose fallacy. If the camel's nose comes into the tent, the rest of the camel is sure to follow. And people are worried, are we going to have a deluge of members of SA coming to... No, it's just one person. And who kn this is an example we've set, and we, we've now helped his home group in the other fellowship. We've done workshops there on the Steps and Traditions. We sponsor some of them because that, they don't have many people who are clean a long time in that fellowship. So these are principles, not rules. They bend. And things look different from different angles. Is the door a push door or a pull door? Well, it depends which side of the door you're on. So we're not going to argue whether it's a push door or a pull door. Um, a couple of other things on... Um, oh, uh, yeah, we have a bell that goes off after three minutes of sharing. When the bell goes off, you stop sharing. We want everyone who wants to participate to be able to. If you can't say it in three minutes, think about it more carefully. Share it next week. There you go. Um, tradition six, um, we don't want to be distracted by anything. So some people wanted the group to decide where we were going to go for fellowship, which restaurant we're going to go to. That's not part of our primary purpose. We refuse as a group to organize that formally. However, it turns out after a few years, we found somewhere which is cheap, where if you don't eat, they don't care, where if you want to eat, you can eat where they have vegan food, um, where you pay on the way in so there's no arguments afterwards about the bill, where there's room for 50 people. And the group has silently just agreed to go there. But we didn't have to have an argument. When we started to discuss it, it introduced disunity, factions. So we dropped it like it was hot. Tradition six in practice. Only decide at group level what has to be decided at group level. If it happens after the group, that's why we don't organize social stuff. If you want to organize social stuff, just go and do it. Attraction, not promotion. People will cut. If it's great and it's fun and it helps, people will come along. So social stuff happens. But the group doesn't organize it. We just create the safe space. We create the boundaries. We set what the content is. Then we let the wild horses run amok and lots of people are sober, and they've copied our format in lots of other groups in London and in other fellowships. So they've, they've taken it, it's become the, the flagship group of OA in London is a group which has taken our format, copied it, tweaked it for the overeaters, and it's, it's now running beautifully. It's a format that works. I'm gonna stop now, but I'm gonna talk about the rest of the traditions and some other stuff in the second half. Thanks for listening.